0: John chapter 9. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your character, that your character is the same yesterday and today and forever, that you don't change, that your promises are true. We thank you for your son and how he's so clearly revealed in the gospel of John. And we ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that this wouldn't just be a, another service that we go through, but that we would meet with you, that our hearts would be that fertile soil for your word to be planted in us. And we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Can you imagine walking with Christ for three years, being a per- personal witness to all of his works and miracles? and then only writing about seven of those miracles. Even for us, if I was going to try to just focus on seven miracles of Christ, it would be hard to try to pick those seven miracles. I mean, I have a hard time even describing my top seven burger joints, right? <laughs> But John, somehow in this gospel, is able to focus just on seven miracles of Christ. And we're going to read about one of those uh, this morning of Jesus healing uh, the blind man. He also focuses on seven I am statements, seven statements of deity of Christ. And the reason that he focuses just on these seven things is the theme of the book. And I want to read this to you. This is from chapter 20. John writes and says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So hopefully in our study of the Gospel of John, your belief in Christ is deepening. Your confidence in Christ is deepening. Him being revealed to you is, is being deepened as we behold jesus the the son of god and then that we're experiencing life in his name that we're experiencing the abundant life that christ has for us also the context of john 9 is really important jesus is doing this miracle in jerusalem there's only two miracles that he does in jerusalem isn't that interesting and they're both recorded in john The first was of the paralytic, the man who was lame, and the second is this blind man. When David was conquering Jerusalem in 2 Samuel, the Jebusites inhabited Jerusalem and they did some trash talking to David and his men and said, even the blind and the lame couldn't conquer Jerusalem. And then Jesus in Jerusalem, he chooses to only heal a blind man and a lame man. Isn't that interesting? And Christ is saying, Look, I'm the one who welcomes in the blind and uh, the lame. Also, this is on the heels of the Feast of Tabernacles, where Jesus declared that he's living water and he's the light of the world. He's just had a huge conflict with the religious leaders on the Temple Mount, and he comes off of the Temple Mount and sees this man who was born blind. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. As Jesus passed by he saw a man he was going from place to place but in the midst of his travels of getting from point a to point b he sees a man who was born blind he took the time to see the individual so many times in the gospels it's recorded of christ's love for the individual because christ cares for the individual He's not too busy to take the time to invest in this one blind man. He saw this blind man. And he knew that this man was blind from birth. No one had to explain that to this man. Jesus was able to read this man's life. I want to encourage you this morning that Jesus does see you. He sees you as an individual. An individual that he created. That he designed. There's no one like you. He knows the number of hairs on your head or the lack thereof. He knows the seat that you would have this morning. And a lot of times we relate to God's love on a large scale in his power, but it's hard for us to believe that God is personal with us. He's personal with us. He sees us. He cares about us. He knows the areas of our lives that are broken that need healing. And as we experience that kind of personal love from Christ it helps us to see people as individuals to see people that God has loved to slow down in our daily lives of going from point a to point b it's difficult in the midst of as we pass by to see those divine appointments that God would have for us to feel the leading of the Holy Spirit where the Lord will cause someone to stand out to us because He wants us to take time to reach out to them. Yesterday, I was getting a haircut; it was long overdue. And as I was sitting in the barber chair, I saw this big book uh, sitting on the desk where he had all of the, his tools. And on top of the book was a pretty large keychain, so I couldn't see the title of the book. And I just felt the leading of the Lord. Ask him what book he's reading. Asking, ask him. The title of the book, and in my mind, I'm thinking I'm kind of enjoying watching this basketball game that's in front of me at the barber shop. For some reason, I was enjoying not talking as I was getting my my hair cut, and so I got five minutes go by, and just again felt the Lord just urging me just just ask him the title of the book. So I said, "Hey, what are what are you reading?" And he says, "Evidence that demands a verdict" by Josh McDowell. They just issued a new uh, edition. He's a believer, and we really had a great fellowship and got to share how we came to know Christ as our Savior, and I'm glad that the Lord led me to enter into a conversation with an individual as I passed by. God wants to use us. He wants us to be able to reach out, to be living that life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, to take time to care uh, for people. What was it like for this young man to be born blind? To be at this place where he never saw the color green. Green's my favorite color, right? To never see the mountains, to never see the ocean, to never behold his, his mom's face. He was born blind. In isolation. And during this time, it would be even exaggerated the kind of difficulty that he would go through being born blind. Helen Keller, who was born blind and deaf, She said this, gradually I got used to the silence and darkness that surrounded me and forgot that it had ever been different until she came, my teacher, who set my spirit free. So she said, here I was in darkness. I was in isolation. And then my teacher came and set me free. And Jesus is going to come and set this man free. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples see Jesus focusing on the blind man, stopping and pausing and reading this man's life, and they pay attention as well, and now they have a question, and their question is this, who sinned? Somebody had to sin in order for this man to be born blind. That's their assumption, and it's the wrong assumption, isn't it? But many times people still hold to this view that if there's pain or there's difficulty in our lives, then someone had to have sinned. Someone had to have messed up. And sometimes suffering is because of sin. But not all suffering is a result of sin. And this is quite a statement when you stop and think about it, is that the parents would have sinned in such a way that would have caused this young man to be born blind. Or that this man would have sinned in the womb that resulted in him being born blind they believed that you could sin in the womb that's pretty crazy isn't it that might only be a possibility if you're a twin If you're in there right just joking twins don't sin in the womb either they sound a lot like job's friends and job's comforters and christ corrects them in verse 3 Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. If you're taking notes, write down purpose and pain. There's purpose in pain. Jesus says it wasn't the parents' fault. It wasn't this man's fault. He didn't sin in the womb. But God allowed this pain. God allowed this man to be born blind so that the works of God could be revealed so that this would be an opportunity for God's glory to be expressed. Remember Moses as he was being called by God to go back to Egypt, Moses says, I can't speak. I'm not eloquent in uh, my speech, I stutter. A humbling thing to be then called to lead the nation of Israel and confront Pharaoh. And this was God's response to Moses. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not the Lord? God doesn't back down. He says, I'm the one who makes the blind. I'm the one who makes the deaf. I'm the one who makes the mute. And am I not the Lord? Are you going to question me in this area? God doesn't make mistakes. The blindness is not outside of the sovereignty of god it's right inside of the plan of god one of the things that breaks my heart is there's less and less people with down syndrome because they're getting aborted in the womb the statistics show that the statistics prove that as couples find out that their child in the womb has down syndrome they make the decision to go ahead and abort the child. And in essence, as a culture, we're saying God has made a mistake. That we're not willing to deal with the difficulty of of Down syndrome. But have you ever known someone that has Down syndrome? Have you ever had a friend who has Down syndrome or a family member that has Down syndrome? Don't they add so much to your life? There's no way that God made a mistake. They're exactly the way that God wants them to be. And our lives are deepened because of them. Amber's cousin has Down syndrome, and, and he's just the nicest man on the planet. And when I spend time with him, I'm convicted about how mean I am, right? He's just so genuinely loving and has such, such a huge heart, and he's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful person. God doesn't make mistakes, So for us in our own lives, as we have pain, even in the physical, because things go wrong in all of our bodies, it's easy for us to think, well, this wasn't God's plan. And in fact, it is God's plan, and he wants to use that. He wants to use that pain as an opportunity to glorify himself. And that's the truth about all pain, all suffering that God allows in our lives. It's an opportunity to know the Lord in a greater way. It's an opportunity for the works of God to be displayed in our lives. That, that pain, that difficulty, that suffering becomes the megaphone for God's glory. It becomes the platform for God's glory to be revealed. In verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus is referring to his death, the ending of his life here on earth, and that's the day. And the night that's coming is the crucifixion, and he's saying, once the night comes, I'm not able to work, so I need to do the works of him who sent me because I am the light of the world. He's gonna illustrate that he's the light of the world in healing this blind man. In verse six, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay, with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay this is a bit unusual isn't it there's a lot of speculation on what it might mean that Jesus would spit on the ground and make mud and put it into the eyes of the blind man Some say that it was medicinal, that it was thought during this time that mud and saliva had a medicinal effect. There's other speculation as we look at the law. If you were unclean and you would spit on someone, then you would make them to be unclean. And actually culturally to have saliva on you was not an accepted thing. And so Christ was was really causing this uncleanness according to the law to shake up the system of the law? I don't know about those two things, but I do know about one thing absolutely from the text. And that's always what I like to focus on. What do we know absolutely from the text is we'll go on to read that this is the Sabbath day. And by it being the Sabbath day, Jesus making mud, he was violating the Sabbath day. By telling this man to go and wash in the pool of Siloam, according to the religious leader's interpretation of the Sabbath, not God's instruction of the Sabbath, Jesus was breaking the Sabbath day. Jesus was wanting to rock the boat of this false religious system and also give this man an opportunity to walk in faith and walk in obedience. But let's put ourselves into the sandals of this blind man for for just a moment. He knows that Jesus has approached him. hears these words that this man hasn't sinned, his parents haven't sinned, and then he hears Jesus hockaloogee. Right? And how did this spit get on the ground? He had to. He had to spit, and then all of a sudden he starts to feel this substance in his eyes. He didn't even see it coming. <laughs> And all of a sudden, then he hears the instructions of Christ. But I anticipate, what would this feel like for the hands of Christ to be on your eyes? I I think that Christ was probably so gentle in his approach and his love that he applied. And there's nothing like the healing touch of our Savior upon our lives. Amen. When he comes and he ministers to us. So here's the instruction. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. This whole mud and spit scenario gives him an opportunity, the man, to walk in faith and walk in obedience. A simple act of faith and obedience to go to the pool of Siloam and to wash. Nahum, the leper, the Syrian that came to Israel to try to be healed, was instructed by the prophet to go dip seven times in the Jordan River, and he was offended by those instructions. We have better rivers in our country, he said, and it was his servant that said, if you were asked something hard to do, you would do it. Why aren't you willing to do the simple thing that was asked of you by the prophet? We may be just one simple step of faith and obedience away from God's work in our lives. A lot of times we think it's so difficult, it's so hard, there's no hope, there's no road forward. And God's saying, just go wash, just go spend some time in my word. Walk in obedience. Take that simple step of faith and obedience. There is significance with the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent because the water was sent to this pool. They had to dig a, a tunnel to get the water to the pool of Siloam. It didn't naturally flow there, but they chose to dig a tunnel and cause the Gihon spring to come to the pool of Siloam. So they called it the pool of scent because they sent the water to be there. Jesus is the sent one. That's a title that's given to Christ as the Messiah. He was sent by the father and he's sending this man to the Sent pool to where he would be healed and he obeys. And as he washes, he comes back seeing. Can you imagine what that would have been like for him? To get this mud and saliva off of his eyes? And then he sees, God heals him, and he beholds this world that's been described to him, but now he's beholding it. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? He was known as a beggar, as a blind beggar, and would sit toward going to the temple. And he was known by his neighbors, and they're saying, wait a second. We know you in the context of being blind. Could it be that you've received your sight? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? So some were saying, yeah, this is the blind man. Others are saying, no, this has got to be someone else. And he's like, no, this is me. I am the blind beggar. They want to know how his eyes were opened. The attention of the community is now on the blind man. He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. At this point, he has a minimal knowledge of who Jesus is. A man, Jesus, gave me this instruction. I washed in the pool of Siloam, and I received my sight. Then they said to him, where is he? And he says, I don't know. He took off. He said, I don't know where Jesus is. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now they've got to get the Pharisees involved. This higher religious authority. I love the word formally in verse 13. He formerly was blind. He's no longer the blind man. Do you know that because we're in Christ, there's a formally by our name? We used to be dead in sins, but we're not any longer. We're alive in Christ. We're buried with Christ and we're risen in newness of life, that we're a new creation in Christ. There's a formally that has been placed by us. We're in Christ. In verse 14, now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight, and he said to them, he put clay on my eyes and washed, and I see. They're not really interested in the blind man. They're not interested in the miracle. They're interested in the fact of what took place on the Sabbath, and has Christ violated the Sabbath from their perspective? Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because... He does not keep the Sabbath. They're like, he's broken the Sabbath because he's done this. Jesus could have simply spoke to the man, said, receive your sight, and he would have in a moment. But Christ intentionally made the mud. Christ intentionally told him that he had to go and wash. Same with the lame man by the pool of Bethesda. He told the man that he needed to take up his bed and walk on the Sabbath day. Christ knows that their understanding and interpretation of the Sabbath is wrong and he's wanting to violate their religious system. So they accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So some are like, oh, he broke the Sabbath. And then others are like, he has to be from God. If he's doing these amazing miracles. So, right there in Jerusalem, there's a division about Christ. There's always a division about Christ. There's those that receive, and those that believe, and those that reject. Then they said to the blind man again, What do you say about him because he opened your eyes? And he said, He's a prophet. So the blind man gets asked, Well, what do you think about this man, Jesus, who healed you? And he said, He's a prophet. He has to have been sent from God if he was able to heal me. Verse 19, or verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We need a DNA test. We don't believe you that you were the blind beggar. Right? So let's go get your parents and see if your parents will attest to the fact that you really were born blind. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would put, be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. The parents missed the opportunity to give glory to Christ. And the reason is because they're afraid of getting kicked out of the synagogue, getting kicked out of the temple. We have to understand for them to get kicked out of worship also meant they were ostracized in social settings. This would affect every aspect of their life, and this desire to be in socially was greater than even giving glory to Christ because of this great miracle that had taken place. And we struggle with the same thing, don't we? We go, man, I really want to give Christ the glory, but I know that if I give Christ the glory, I'm going to be the outcast in my family, I could be the outcast in my neighborhood. I could be the outcast at at work or at school. But when God sets the stage, let's give him the glory, amen? Because this is an opportunity where God has done a work and there's something to give God the glory for. God does the same thing in our lives. And then people ask and they go, well, how come this happened? Or how come you were able to get through this? And we're left in that moment to say, I can give God the glory, I can speak the name of Jesus and say, you know what? Well, well, Christ is the one who's really got me through this. Christ is the one who has really been, been gracious to me. Or like this man's parents, we can get fearful and allow fear to overcome us. In verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. So in their minds, to give God the glory is to declare Jesus a sinner. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Power of testimony. Second thing to meditate on. This blind man gives a masterful answer. He says, I don't know if Jesus is a sinner or not. He doesn't take the bait to go down the rabbit trail. But he stays in this thing that he does know. And there's only one thing that he knows at this point. And he says, I'm going to hold on to this one thing that I know, that I was blind. I know that I was blind from birth. And now I see. And for us, as we're sharing Christ with people, it's really easy to go down a rabbit trail. It's really easy to try to Take the debate. The better thing to do is to follow this example of the blind man and say, You know, I really don't know if Adam had a belly button or not. And I'll let you wrestle with that. But this is what I do know. This is what my life was like before I knew Christ. This is the emptiness that I was feeling, the loneliness, the despair, the weight of the sin that was upon me. And this was how God began to work in my life, this was the circumstances. This was the believer that the Lord brought uh, to me. These, these were the truths that God started to cause me to uh, examine. And this is what led me to believe in him, to repent and, and trust him for salvation. You know, and not everything is perfect in my life now by a far stretch, but I have this peace because I know that I'm, I'm the child of God. Last night, I I watched a documentary about Billy Graham on Netflix. It's really good if you're subscribed to Netflix. Not too often do I recommend something on Netflix, but this is really worth the, the hour to be able to watch it. And there's a lot of interviews that Billy Graham did over the years that are on this documentary. And I was amazed at the wisdom of Billy Graham in these interviews to always bring it back to the one thing, and that's God's love. That's demonstrated by Jesus Christ dying upon the cross for our sins and rising again and our need to repent and receive Christ as our Savior. Every interview, no matter how they tried to spin it, he got it back to the one thing. He did what this blind man did. Said, you know, I don't know about this over here, but I do know about this over here. On 9-11, he was was asked by George Bush to come and be able to, to speak. It was the first flight that was given after 9-11 was a civilian flight to get Billy Graham to, to come and be able to speak at this memorial. And even in the midst of the tragedy of 9-11, Billy Graham had the wisdom to share the gospel. He knew that the issue was the gospel. The one thing that God so loved the world that Jesus was acquainted with our sorrows and that was expressed upon the cross. Now I know what you're thinking and I know what I'm thinking. And what do we say at this point? I'm no Billy Graham, right? I'm no Billy Graham. I don't know that God could use me. But guess what? This is the power of testimony is you have testimony of God's story in your life. And this is a powerful tool to be able to share with others. People can't refute this testimony of the blind man. Go, you know what? I was blind and now I see. What are you going to do with that? And be able to say, you know, this was what my life was like before I knew Christ as my Savior. And some of you don't think that your testimony is worth sharing because you haven't served prison time. You go, you know, I've never been in the state penitentiary, so I really don't have a powerful testimony. Now, if you have served prison time, praise the Lord. That's part of your testimony, right? But if you haven't served prison time, praise the Lord. That's part of your testimony too because we're all knuckleheads and we could have ended up in prison, right? You know, so God spared us from that. That's part of of your testimony. Never be ashamed of the story that God has given you in your life. I I really feel that we're living in perilous times. I mean, my heart uh, was broken over the shooting in New Zealand where 49 people were killed in a mosque and the, this man had the audacity to then take a body camera and live stream it on Facebook while he while he did it right and everywhere you turn as you read the headlines there's just there's absolute chaos and there's questioning and there's evil and people are hurting in their lives and guess what we have the answer and it's Christ We have the answer, and to be able to share with someone, can I share with you what God has done in my life? And I would encourage you to take the time, if you haven't done this, to write out your testimony and think of it in a couple of blocks. And the first block is, what was my life like before I knew Christ? The second block, how did God bring me to Christ? What were the circumstances? What did he use? And then the third block is, what is God doing currently in my life? And be able to share it in two or three minutes. Have your testimony be a tool that's ready for God to use. And may we not think that we have to be some expert in order for God uh, to use us. He wants to use your testimony. In verse 26, Then they said to him again, What did he do to you, and how did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? It's great sarcasm right there. This man as a beggar had to get really good with thinking on his feet. And he expresses that here. Unlike his parents, he doesn't back down. He's saying, look, why do you wanna hear it again? You weren't listening the first time. Do you wanna become a, a follower of Christ? Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to, him to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he's from. Again, centering around this question about Christ's birth and not believing the, the virgin birth. The man answered and said to them, why, why this a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes? Again, great wisdom from this man. Why does it matter where this guy came from? He just opened my eyes. You're missing the point here. And he brings them back to the main point, the main thing. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Now, is the blind man right in this statement? Is this fully right that God doesn't hear sinners? No, it's not. Thankfully, God does hear sinners. That's how we got saved. Amen? Right? Right? So his theology is not completely sorted out at this point. In fact, in just a moment, we're going to see him understand Christ in a greater way, understand Christ as God. This should be an encouragement to us that we don't need to have everything figured out before we share about Jesus. You know, we tend to think we've got to be an expert on everything in the scripture before we can ever share about Christ or have an answer to everyone's question, Newsflash, we're never going to have all this figured out. The more we study, the more we realize that we don't know. And so don't let that be a hindrance to keep us from sharing about Christ. Verse 32 Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. The blind man saying, Look, this is unheard of. We've never even heard of this since the world began. Of someone being healed who was born blind this has to be from god they answered and said to him you were completely born in sins and are you teaching us and they cast him out we see this pride from the religious leaders like you're going to teach us something you were born in sin that's why you were born blind and then they cast him out of the temple cast him out of the synagogue But this blind man, I believe, lived his life as an outcast because not only he was born blind, but this dark cloud that was put over him is the reason that you're blind is somebody's sin. This isn't the first time that he's heard this. I bet the religious leaders, as they walked to the temple, would get down and talk with him and say, so what did you do in the womb that you were born blind? So really, what's going on with your parents? Like which one of your parents messed up that caused you to be be born blind? Could you imagine living with that kind of mentality over him? How refreshing it must have been when he heard Jesus speak those words of grace and truth that said his parents didn't sin and he didn't sin. This was allowed so the works of God could be revealed. So he's cast out. In verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus hears that the man has been cast out. Jesus makes the effort to go and find him. Jesus loves the outcast. And we're the outcast. We're the blind beggar that needs Christ's touch. And if you feel this way in your life, and you say, you know what, I'm just not accepted. Sometimes even around Christians and around the body of Christ, for some reason I feel like a bit of an outcast. Maybe you were rejected in your family. Maybe you felt like every time the, the teams were picked for the sports teams, you weren't included. Or your grades were mediocre or maybe even failure or, or at work, you're, you're the outcast. Well, Jesus loves you. He loves the outcast and he loves to go and pursue the outcast. And as the body of Christ, where we're the expression of Christ upon the earth, we need to love the outcast. We need to go and look for that person that says, man, I know I'm messed up, I know I'm blind, I know I'm bankrupt, I'm the beggar, I can't even make it through financially because that's who Christ loves and that's who who we are. And Christ's question is then, do you believe the Son of God? Do you believe in the Son of God? Of all of the things that Jesus could ask, he focuses on the belief in himself He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? I I love that. He's saying, Who is he, Lord? Could it be you? Are are you the the, the son of God? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Now remember, this man's just received his eyesight. He's not used to seeing. And I'm sure Jesus gave him 20-20 vision. Christ is saying, You see him. I'm standing here, right here before you and talking to you. I'm the son of God. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He receives his spiritual eyesight. Two miracles. The first, his physical eyesight, but even more importantly, his spiritual eyesight. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped. The worship is a response to his belief. He believes that that Jesus is God. He sees the spiritual truth clearly. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, and those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Third thing this morning is there's peril of pride. There's peril in pride, there's danger in pride. Jesus says, Look, for those that know they don't see, that know that they're blind, I came to give them spiritual eyesight. Part of getting saved is realizing I'm blind. There's things that I don't see here. There's things that I don't understand. I realize that I'm a sinner. I realize that I need a savior. But then, Jesus also came to blind those who think they see. As we study the scriptures, we wanna look for themes. And one of the themes that comes up over and over again is that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And that's what's expressed here by Jesus. The beggar is humble, and he experiences God's grace in his life, but the religious leaders think that they've got it all figured out. And so Christ is going to blind them. Christ is going to to humble them. How about us in our lives this morning? Are we in a place of humility before the Lord? Are we in a place of going, Lord, I have no way of going forward without you. I'm not enough in and of myself. I don't have things figured out. I don't have this relationship with you figured out. I don't have family life figured out. I don't have my work figured out. I'm broken before you and God, I need you in my life. I need you to to show up in my life. Or in some way, have we followed the footsteps of the religious leaders and kind of going, I've got this down a little bit. I know how to read my Bible. I've memorized some scripture. I know some theology. I keep the Sabbath day and pride is something that easily sneaks into the back door of our lives, and we don't even realize it. And we kind of study John 9, and we go, well, this is great for the blind beggar. Jesus is so gracious and merciful and compassionate, but we don't see ourselves in the blind beggar anymore. We're not in a place of humility before the Lord. And there's a real warning about pride that's in the life of the Pharisees. And we end in verse 40 and 41. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, so they're overhearing this conversation, and said to him, are we blind also? And I picture that with great arrogance. Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Jesus throws a curveball here and says, the reason that you guys are blind, that you're accountable for your spiritual blindness, is this. Because you think you see. Because of your pride and because of your arrogance. I like the way that Charles Spurgeon sums up this chapter. Let me read it to you. It's not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ, it's our strength. It's not our darkness that hinders Christ, it's our supposed light that holds back his hand. We're going to celebrate communion together this morning. And as we do, let's humble ourselves before Christ. Let's put ourselves in that place of, of need and dependency of Christ as that blind beggar. It says, Christ, would you come and minister afresh to me this morning? And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, as we go to prayer and the worship team comes and and leads us in song, it's so simple, but yet it's so powerful. This man believed and he was saved. He comes to the understanding that Jesus loves him and he trusts that. And Jesus declares to us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you are aware of your need to be saved and you realize this deep loneliness and emptiness inside of you that can only be filled with Christ, this morning repent of your sin Turn from your sin and cry out to Christ, Jesus, save me. I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again and be the Lord of my life. And I would encourage you as we pray and as the worship team is leading us, in the quietness of your own heart, make that decision of faith to receive Christ as your Savior. Then Christ is gonna save you and you'll be the child of God and he's gonna begin to walk with you and teach you about what it means to be in relationship with him. And we would love to know if you made that decision. You would come talk with me right after service. I'll be available in the front. Some of the other pastors, we want to give you a new believers packet. Pray with you personally. I think it's important to make that confession to say, look, I receive Christ as my Savior today. So let's pray and we'll enter into communion together. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your love. We thank you that you don't reject the outcast, that you're not afraid of our brokenness blindness, that you want to come and minister to us personally. And we see our need afresh for you this morning, Jesus. No amount of religion can replace our need for you. And we admit to you that we're blind, that we're bankrupt, and we're so thankful for your sacrifice upon the cross, the gift of your broken body and your shed blood. And may you minister to our hearts as we celebrate communion. And Lord, for those that don't know you, and as communion's being passed and they consider what these elements represent, that they would open up their heart to you in faith, that they would cry out, say, Jesus, your Lord. Jesus, I believe in you and receive your grace and forgiveness. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.